Exciting news at This Week Health. Starting May 16th, our keynote show is moving to Thursdays. Catch every episode weekly on our This Week Health conference channel. Don't miss conversations with top health system leaders designed to transform healthcare one connection at a time. Subscribe to This Week Health conference and stay updated every Thursday. Today on This Week Health. Any company, whether you're Microsoft or Providence, IT is a lifetime journey. I think what's unique about the transformation I did at Microsoft was the cloud itself as a brand new industry trend, and nobody was on the cloud 15 years ago. So every company will have to go through that transition. Thanks for joining us on This Week Health Keynote. My name is Bill Russell. I'm a former CIO for a 16 hospital system and creator of This Week Health, a channel dedicated to keeping health IT staff current and engaged. Special thanks to our keynote show sponsors, Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Press Ganey, Sempris, and Veritas for choosing to invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Today, we are joined by BJ Moore, CIO, EVP of Real Estate Operations for Providence. BJ, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. Fantastic to be here. I'm, I'm not sure all those things were said in the right order, but I know that CIO... <laughs> Real estate operations, and I know you're an EVP, so I, yep, I don't know what yep. order they go in. It sounded good to me, Bill, so I'll take <laughs> it. I know, it's a long title. It's a kind of word salad. Yeah, well, we we talked like in the first month of you joining Providence, and you came from Microsoft, and you were one of that, that group. And people go in two directions here. They either go, hey, you know what? We're going to bring somebody in from the outside, bring new ideas in from the outside, or yep. they say, we're going to take a physician and move them into the role because they understand healthcare. I'm not saying which one's right or wrong. We have, we have great people in both camps. Sure. Uh, we might come back to that later, but I, I have to start with the standard opening question, which is tell us about Providence. One of the largest U.S. health Catholic health systems in the United States, mostly here on the West Coast. We've got 52 hospitals, 1,000 clinics. We're in Alaska, Montana, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, New Mexico, and Texas. We were at the uh, epicenter of, of the uh, pandemic. We actually received the first patient into our Everett Hospital January of 2020. So the pandemic, unfortunately, was front and center for us. And overall, I felt like we served our communities well through, through the pandemic. How many hospitals is it? Is it 60 or so? 52 hospitals. 52 hospitals. Have you visited all the hospitals? That's got to be difficult. I've probably visited 10 to 15. COVID kind of put a, a stop to a lot of that travel. That's right. You know, an executive, especially a CIO that shows up to a hospital during a pandemic, not the most popular person. So I try <laughs> to respect, respect those folks and, and keep out of the, the hospitals during that critical time. But yeah, I've gotten out to see a diverse set. And I've seen a hospital in every one of our states, all seven states. The interesting thing, when people think about Providence, they think big health system. But the reality is you cover rural and you cover urban. Obviously, you're in Alaska. You're a lot of parts of Oregon. You're in West Texas. You're, I mean, yep. you're, you're in a lot, of, a lot yep. of different types of markets. I want to come back to when we first met, you were coming in from Microsoft. You had modernized that environment at Microsoft. Again, people would probably, probably find that funny to, to hear that you had to modernize that environment at Microsoft. But yeah. even tech giants end up with a lot of tech debt, a lot of misallocated investments over time. And it requires an architecture and a strategy to bring it forward. 
you were brought in, one of the things you were brought in to do was to modernize healthcare, to modernize Providence. Talk to us a little bit about that, that modernization journey. Yeah. So any company, whether you're Microsoft or Providence, IT is a lifetime journey. I think what's unique about the transformation I did at Microsoft was the cloud itself is a brand new industry trend and nobody was on the cloud 15 years ago. So every company will have to go through that, that transition. So yeah, I completed that journey successfully at Microsoft. I joined Providence three years ago. And in that first interview, I had that stark realization. I think uh, it was where the first quote came out that we were about 15 or 20 years behind. That observation was at Providence, but as I've met with other CIOs, that's really a healthcare issue. So three years ago, we embarked on a journey to to modernize. We had three strategic pillars around simplify, modernize, and innovate. We've really focused on those first two pillars. Simplify, we had 4,000 applications in our ecosystem. You just can't be modern and agile and and create great caregiver and and patient experiences with 4,000 applications. So we've massively reduced those. The modernize is about moving to the cloud. And then innovates things like big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And we've dabbled there a bit, but you have to do the simplify, modernize first. What I'm really proud of is the progress we've made. So we went from four or five different versions of Epic. We were on Meditech and all scripts when I joined three years ago. Happy to say as of March, we've got our entire health system now on Epic, a single instance of Epic. So we consolidated the existing Epic instances and then got everybody off all scripts and Meditech. So single instance of Epic. Moved everybody to Office 365 and Team. That proved to be invaluable as we started working remote during the pandemic. The infrastructure, basic networking, wireless in our, our ministries, hospitals, clinics weren't, weren't up to date. And so we've been on a modernization journey there. In July, we're going to move from 10 to 12 different HR and ERP systems. We're going to move to Oracle Cloud. So we'll not only be on a single system, but we'll be on a modern cloud solution. That'll be the foundation for us. So I think if I were to to summarize it, Bill, we went from being 15 to 20 years behind to December of this year, basically a three and a half year journey. We will, I think, be on par or frankly ahead of most Fortune 100 companies. Most Fortune 100 companies can't say they're on a modern cloud ERP and the core systems that we find ourselves in. So really proud of the journey that that we've been on. And then remember, two of those three years were during a pandemic. So to do that level of modernization in the middle of a pandemic, it just couldn't be more proud of the team. So simplify, modernize, innovate. I'll tell you, the, the thing which you said there which is most impressive to me, not that you're looking for my award here, but the getting onto a single instance of Epic, uh, knowing what I, I know of Providence and St. Joe's and, and some of the other acquisitions prior to coming together with St. Joe's, that's not, not just a technical journey. That is a significant organizational transformation that has to occur to get on a single instance exactly right. of, of epic so i mean kudos to the team for for getting that done i'm glad you went there bill i mean that allows us to go from really 52 individual hospitals that had their own processes and ways of running things to really allowing us to actually execute as a single health system right and you can only do that on a single ehr single set of business processes and that will be able to optimize that, right? You can't optimize 52 experiences for caregivers and patients. And now we've got a single platform to, to innovate and, and standardize from. 
Yeah. And also to build off your data practices, you talked about innovate and starting to utilize those tools, the AI machine learning and other things. But yep. the reality is if you have all those different instances of the EHR, the data quality is going to be different. The uh, interfaces to bring that data across, some of it's going to be discrete data. Some of it's going to be, it depends on the EHR, how it was designed, exactly. when it was exactly. designed. Even our five instances of Epic, each implementation was so different. The data appeared to be different. So even trying to do analytics on our Epic instances was challenging. So yeah, there's been huge benefits getting in a single instance. I can't even imagine, to be honest with you. I mean, having done a an EHR integration of you know, 16 hospitals onto, we ended up with three instances. We couldn't even get onto one instance yep. because each region was sort of saying, hey, we practice medicine different. And- yep. And yours is a good case because you have rural and you have urban and you yep. have ac academic as well. So you have you have a significant mix of yep. types of organizations. That yeah, yeah. I, I would I would imagine that project took a lot of a lot a lot of collaboration with the physicians, bringing them together. Absolutely. I'm not even sure how you did that during the pandemic. To be honest with you, yeah, I, yeah sometimes. Yeah, something like that brings focus to the organization. And I, I, I don't want to say the pandemic was a good thing, but it did create a sense of urgency and clarity that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. So yeah, that that helped. What keeps healthcare from moving forward? This is more of a generic question. What keeps yeah. healthcare from moving forward? I mean, I, I saw a quote uh, from you where you were talking about single, no, uh, dual factor authentication. That's what it was. Yeah. Yep. And you're saying, hey, we do this in every other industry, but the minute you bring it forward in healthcare, everyone looks yep. at you like, oh, don't do that. That's going to ruin clinician satisfaction, those kind of things. Yep. And it's, it's, we've all heard it. What, what keeps us from moving forward? What keeps us from accepting the amount of tech debt that yep. we, we, we all accept? Off the top of my head, I can think of three things. One, it's technical. As much as we've modernized, we still have. 25, 30 year old technology that's in our, our ministries and hospitals and, and trying to uh, modernize when you've got, you know, that level of, of technical debt is, is difficult. Healthcare complexity itself is just off the charts. You think about something like a hospital bill. I use the analogy, I just spoke at a, at a conference in Austin and I use the analogy of a, a hotel bill, right? If, if hospitals were running hotels, when you checked into your hotel, it would be, well, can't tell you how much a room is going to cost. It's anywhere between fifty and five thousand dollars. Depends on how many beds you use, how many towels you use. We'll bill you at the end, and you would get this ten-page bill. All right, Bill, you use three bath towels, you use two washcloths, you use the shampoo, but you didn't use the conditioner, and your bill is five hundred eighty dollars. That's what we do in healthcare. So the level of complexity keeps us from modernizing. And then doctors and, and nurses, clinic, clinics, hospitals all worked independently. And so there was independent variation by design worked in the system. So now that you're trying to do things at scale, so you take the complexity and then you take kind of the localization that happened. I, I, I would say it's those three things that really create the barriers of kind of modernizing and simplifying healthcare. All right, we'll get back to our show in just a minute. I want to tell you about the podcast that I am the most excited about right now that I am listening to as often as I possibly can. And that is 
the town hall show that we launched on the community channel, This Week Health Community, and it airs on Tuesdays and Thursdays. What I've done is I have essentially recruited these great hosts who are coming in and they're tapping people in their networks and having conversations with them about the things that are frontline kind of stuff. So it's, it's technical deep dives, it's hot button issues, it's tactical challenges. It's all the stuff that is happening right there where you live on a daily basis. We have some great hosts on this show. We have Charles Boise, who's a, a data scientist, Craig Richardville, Lee Milligan, Reed Steffen, who are all CIOs. We have Jake Lancaster, Brett Oliver, who are CMIOs. We have Mark Weissman, who is a former CMIO and host of the CMIO podcast, and now a CIO at Title Health. And we also have the incomparable Sue Shade, who is fantastic. And I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that she's tapping into her network and having some great conversations as well. I'd love for you to tune into these episodes. I am learning a ton myself. You can subscribe on our community channel, This Week Health Community. You can do that on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google, on Stitcher, you name it. We're out there and you can subscribe there and start having a listen yourself. All right, let's get back to our show. So we talked about EHR and ERP. Talk, talk to me about imaging. Did you make strides on the imaging side? Yeah, so we're, we are. So we have about 300 different discrete storages of images in our health system, all locked up in proprietary systems. We're in the process of standardizing that, moving to that cloud, and then using a vendor agnostic reader integrated in the Epic. So basically we go from 300 independent pieces of storage to cloud storage, where we're able to manage that more effectively, more cost-effectively, but even better now that all of our images in one place, it's more seamless for our clinicians to get access to it. And because it's through a vendor neutral, you know, reader, you're not having to learn different readers and, and look at images in different ways. And then we talked about the simplify and modernize. Those are two examples of those pillars. But once we have all of our images on the cloud, then we can start unleashing artificial intelligence against it. One, you need all your images in one place. You need them all standardized and all the PII removed. The only place you can do artificial intelligence is in the cloud, right? That's the only place you've got that compute power. So yeah, thanks for asking the question. Really, really proud of what we're doing there. I think it's seven or eight petabytes of, of images we're moving to the cloud. And um, yeah, it's both cost efficient as well as better clinical care. Interesting because we're seeing so many advancements in AI and machine learning, but a lot of them are coming around images because it's, yep. it's quality data right? It's an image, right? It is what it is, yep. whatever the picture took. Um, and the deltas that you can do, right? I mean, a, a computer can look at, all right, Bill has got an image every year for seven years, right? A machine can go through and look at the changes in those images down to millimeters that a human eye can never do. And so it's, it's a perfect example of something a computer could do better than a human eye can do. Now, does it replace clinicians? Absolutely not. But does it aid them with tools? Uh, absolutely. Are there different strategies that you, so with, with Epic, you, you were like, hey, we're getting on a one instance. I know with imaging, I mean, you have lab cardiology, you have radiology, you have all these different kinds of systems. It's almost impossible to get on a single system across the board. Not that you can't, you, right. you probably could. It, right. sounds to me, it sounds to me like you're just saying, all right, in some cases, we're going to leave those out there, but we are yeah. going to bring all the images in. Is that, 
Was that a strategic? Yeah, view? I mean, there's multiple ways to standardize. We could standardize on a single imaging vendor and standardize that way. It would be hundreds of millions of dollars to replace all those devices, if not a billion dollars to replace those devices. So yeah, we looked at it a different way and said, okay, can we standardize the images themselves and and store them in, in a vendor neutral way? And, and that was the approach. So we'll, we'll end up with standardization, but without replacing the machines or devices that sit in the clinics and, and the hospitals. Talk about the analytics capabilities that you get through Azure that maybe the traditional health system that hasn't adopted cloud isn't experiencing yet. Yeah. So I'll date myself. I'm a SQL guy. My brain seems to work like a relational database. And so I've been working with data and relational databases for 30 plus years, but that data being on-premise as powerful as, as relational databases like SQL are, like you're limited on the scale and performance. So you end up spreading that data across multiple systems. You have multiple sources of truth. The huge advantages we've had moving into the cloud is now we can have a single instance, single truth. Scale is no longer an issue. When you're on-premise on a SQL database, but a hundred gigabyte database is big. Well, you can have exabytes of, of data and you don't have scale issues. So you have a single source of truth. And as I mentioned earlier on images, the same thing with, with data, all the advanced machine learning and artificial intelligence, all those capabilities only exist in the cloud. And so if you're going to take your data, if you're doing the reporting, reporting is more powerful because you're not limited by the data sets or the performance of those data sets. If you want to do machine learning and artificial intelligence, the only effective place to do that is in the cloud. So so yeah, we've moved away. We had HANA, we had SQL databases, Oracle databases, Excel spreadsheets, access databases. We moved all of that to a single data source in the cloud, in this case, Azure Data Lake. So we got rid of all the on-premise stuff, single source of truth. And now we have better performance. I mean, it's such a no-brainer to move to the cloud. It's not easy, no. but it's a lifetime gift that me as a SQL, when I used to write SQL databases, like, this is the gift I've been waiting for for decades. I'm sorry, we're still tooling around and finding access databases. Oh yeah, come on, Bill. This is a, yeah, well, come on. Actually, we still tootle around and find DOS. So, so we crash access a lot, but access was so powerful in 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 the respect that it put power in the hands yeah. almost of the user themselves, so that they could Absolutely. create some really sophisticated stuff. Now, if we could do that with the security models and the the scalability yeah. of things. That would be great. The end user actually, you know, feeling like they could build applications for their department or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Talk to me about, so one last tech debt. So what's the most stubborn tech debt to rid yourself of at Providence? Uh, that's a long list. My team has coined a new term. It's called IT archaeology. Every day they come to me with some artifact. Fax machines is unfortunately an artifact because there's still business processes that are aligned to that. Our PBXs in the hospitals, 20, 30, 40 years old. The vendors have gone out of business. But replacing the PBX infrastructure in hospitals is, is tough. Nurse call. Oh my gosh, the poor caregivers at the bedside and the number of devices they need to carry. That's tough to kind of modernize that and move that forward. So there's a long, long list there. I also own real estate, as you called out in my word salad of a, of a, a title, right? We've got boilers that are 80 years old. There's, there's, 
One day I should come up with a list, Bill, of kind of what's the oldest <laughs> technology and what's difficult to get out. It's, it's hard are, to pick just one. Are you, are you telling me there's boilers that the original sisters actually installed in the hospitals that are still Absolutely. There? Absolutely. <laughs> and those boilers are still working for us. I, I, I still tell those stories. It's, it's uh, when people ask me about culture, I, I always go back to working in Catholic healthcare and I say, nobody does it better than Catholic healthcare. They tell the stories of the sisters coming to the Western lands. I mean, these are women traveling into yeah. rugged country. Yeah. Wagon trains, yeah. Wagon, very little money in their pockets saying, how can we serve you? And if they said, build a school, they'd build a school. If they said, build a hospital, they'd build a hospital. Yeah. And you know, today people are like, oh, Catholic healthcare, look how big it is and mammoth and stuff. Yeah. That's not how it started. And and yeah. And the other thing about it is, they tell those stories so well that it 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 permeates the culture. It, yeah. You don't you don't have to be there long before you're like, hey, I'm proud to be part of a a, a women founded organization yeah. that has lasted this long, that has had this much success and this much impact on the community. Yeah. And it's big, but it's big because, I mean, in our case, it's 170 years of investment, right? How many other industries have 170 years of capital investment to build up? what's kind of the foundation of, of their ministries, which is the case for, for Providence and I assume other Catholic health systems. Yeah, but that's why we're talking about tech debt. It's 170 years <laughs> old, old business. And, but uh, a gift and yeah, and, and sometimes a punishment. Is your team back in the office yet or, or have you adopted a new work model? Yeah, so we opened up a couple of weeks ago. We opened up a couple of times, but we believe we've opened back up uh, permanently a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, we fully embrace the hybrid work model. It's been good for us, right? I would say before the pandemic, Providence was 100% coming to work, absolutely zero remote work, didn't have that muscle built whatsoever. Two years of the pandemic, we probably overbuilt the muscle of working remote and, and working over teams and other collaborative platforms. And now that things are open back up, yeah, we're getting back into that collaborative hybrid work environment. Um, we'll never go back to the way it was before. But we also won't be 100% virtual. I think the sweet spot somewhere in between. So office teams and whatnot, is that your primary platform for making that all work? Do you have different project management platforms and that kind of stuff that all went digital? We really went for standardization. And so for us, standardization on the productivity tools is Microsoft. We didn't go a best of breed approach. We're not going to differentiate ourselves from other health systems based upon the best of breed of a project management software. And so we've decided just to standardize on, on Microsoft and, and get the performance and scale of a single vendor strategy versus five or six different vendors. Back when I was doing work for GE Capital, back when they existed, but back when I was doing work for them, I remember talking to somebody and saying, hey, why don't you have a project management tool? Because they were doing everything on Excel spreadsheets. And back then we sort of looked at that and said, oh, I can't believe you're doing everything on Excel spreadsheets. He said, uh, hey, Bill, if I gave you an Excel spreadsheet with the project uh, management, the tasks and all that stuff on it, would you be able to change the cell? Would I have to train you on how to change the cell? I'm like, no, but I have to train you on. And he just went through all this. Other, I'm like, no, you wouldn't have to train me on any of that stuff. He goes, there's your answer. That's why we yeah. use a tool that everyone knows how to use. Yeah. Uh, it can get the job done. It may not be as fancy as all these new things, but it works pretty effectively. Yeah, and if that was our core competency, right? Our core competency should, should be delivering care and taking care of our communities and patients. That's where we're gonna differentiate ourselves. We're not gonna differentiate ourselves with project management software. And so good is good enough. 
And obviously Microsoft's a fantastic platform. So it's not you, like we're settling. You now oversee a multi-country set of IT people. From time to time, I see your your team, which is pretty proud. The team in, in India is pretty proud of the work yeah. that they're doing and, and stuff like that. I'll see some posts. How, how much of your IT staff now resides in India? So we've got 550 people in, in India. They're Providence employees. As you rightly stated, that's now an international company. So when we set that up, that was Providence's first international company. It wasn't an outsource strategy. It's really been building a muscle that we didn't already have when I arrived at Providence. And so we've hired engineers there, network engineering, security engineers. So it's there's been some attrition in the U.S., but it's mostly been growth in India. Like I said, it hasn't been an outsource strategy. The interesting thing about that is we always struggled. It's 724, 365. Exactly. Right? And, you, and you're saying, okay, do that all with people that reside in Renton, Washington. Well, you, right. you, you can't. You, you really of, can't. One of the most expensive labor markets in the world where tech talent is really scarce. And yeah, now you want somebody to work the, the swing shift. Yeah, no, it's, it wasn't going to be a good strategy. Well, how was... How is it managing that staff? I mean, you had, a, you had a pandemic going on. I'm trying, the yeah. timelines are a little vague to me of when it was hitting India and when it was hitting the U.S. Yeah. I, it feels to me like we were, it was hitting the U.S. first and then it really right. got exacerbated in India. Were you able to sort of balance the workload with, with staff being impacted in both of those markets at different times? Well, the good news is, so your, your timelines are basically right. Hit the U.S. first, hit India last it wasn't really until the second wave. I think it was Delta that really hit India hard. But the good news is both the U.S. workforce as well as the India workforce were just as effective remote as they were in office. And so there really wasn't a, from a COVID perspective, there wasn't a hit of productivity in either region. But I am proud that when, when COVID hit, I think we had five employees in India. And the fact we were able to add 545 additional employees during a pandemic I'm, I'm super proud of what the team was able to do that. All right. I want to I want to switch to the business here a little bit. So there's some headwinds. While there's headwinds in the economy, there's headwinds yeah. in, in healthcare as well. The uh, We have staffing challenges, specifically cl- clinical staffing challenges yep. that are going on right now. And it, it appears those are going to be sustained for some time because we can't yeah. just print new nurses. How can IT best support the clinicians or potentially the lack of clinicians in, in that environment? I think IT is probably the best asset to help that. So let's just keep the model simple. Let's say we're either growing or shrinking that workforce. Let's say we just are able to keep it static, but the community needs of delivering more healthcare are growing. So where tech really plays into that is what do we do to make our caregivers our nurses, our doctors, more, more productive. Unfortunately, our estimates are about 40 to 60% of what our doctors and nurses do is administrative work. And I can't imagine they went to nursing or med school to, to do 60% of their jobs being paperwork. Right. And so we can automate that away, right? It, it can be things like the partnership with Nuance and, and the ambient you know, listening devices so they don't have to type into the HR and just listen and annotate the notes for them. It's just reducing administrative burden, simplifying their work processes. 
there's a lot we can do. And frankly, it can only be done with technology. And I think it can be a win-win. So you can take somebody that's maybe, let's say a nurse that's 50% delivering care and 50% doing paperwork. If we can reduce that paperwork burden, then that immediately goes towards helping with productivity patient care. So if you go from 50% to 40%, you just improve their productivity by 20%. Could you go out and hire 20% more nurses? No. But could you make a nurse 20% more productive? Absolutely, by reducing the administrative burden. But what's great for this caregiver is, like I said, nobody comes to work excited to do paperwork. So you're actually allowing them to focus on what they enjoy that actually has impact to our patients' communities. And you take away things that, you know, contribute to burnout, which is administrative uh, paperwork and burden. So, yeah, I think you play the biggest role. That, that simplification, I would think, would allow you to, to go from pilot to, to scale Correct. pretty quick. The, uh, it's interesting, you signed, signed the deal with Microsoft early on. The, the nuance thing came later. Did that just Correct. fold in nicely or do you have a nuance agreement and a Microsoft agreement? Well, because, yeah, we signed the Nuance agreement before they were acquired by Microsoft. It's separate, but I'm happy to say Nuance was a great partner before. They continue to be a great partner under the, under the Microsoft umbrella. One, yeah. one thing I want to bring up, Bill, if you don't mind, because you brought it up a couple of times. When I say simplify, modernize, and innovate, really should think of that as almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? The simplify is the eating, breathing, sleeping. The modernize is like sending the kids to school and innovative self-actualization, right? You can't do that and innovate. You can't self-actualize as a person if you don't have housing or food or, or safety. And so, um, you know, it's kind of come up. I want to make it explicit. And you just brought it up again. If you don't simplify your environment, you can't be agile. If you can't be agile, you can't be modern. If you can't be modern, you can't do these innovative things. So it's really a process you have to go through to really achieve the best results for your health system. And I don't, I don't generally talk about security because you're not allowed to talk about security anyway. It, it's what they coach CIOs when we get into the role. It's like, don't, don't, don't throw yeah. down the gauntlet because they will come after it's you. It's where we become superstitious, right? As soon as we say we've improved security, yeah. then, then the hackers take it as but, an opportunity. But the, the simplify is also a big part of that, Absolutely. right? I mean, 4,000 applications, the, your, your attack surface is, is so great that exactly. it becomes uh, very challenging. And those 4,000 aren't modern, right? You have 4,000 because some of those are 20, 30 years old. So there wasn't even cybersecurity when a lot of these apps were built. Yeah, you you hit a spot. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day who reminded me that AD is 22 years old. <laughs> Active Directory is 22 years old, which is so a testament to the, <laughs> to the developers that put that together. That's an amazing technology yeah. to last for 22 years. Yeah. On the flip side, it's 22 years old. I mean, yeah. it's kind of... Well, as you said it, though, I'm thinking, well, I've got apps that are older than 22. What did they do for identity? How do I secure those? Like AD may have issues, but imagine pre. One, one security question I think I will ask is about cyber, cyber liability insurance. Yeah, you may or may not like this, but you've become sort of a statesman for health IT CIOs because you, you run one of the largest ones out there. Yep. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of CIOs are struggling with this. I mean, the, the costs have gone up pretty significantly to the point where they're looking at it going, I, I'm not sure we can, there's no sustainable way to keep paying for that cyber liability. Are you, are you sort of looking at the same thing that the liability insurance is getting uh, harder to, I'm not going to say harder to justify, that's the wrong words, but just 
harder to to swallow each time you get the bill. Definitely harder to swallow, and hopefully no insurance um, companies watch your your podcast here, Bill. But I'll I'll say it actually creates healthy tension, right? It's it's one more reminder. I mean, obviously, you never want to get attacked. You never want to be ransomed. But one other incentive is how do you manage your your premiums, right? And so you look at your investments and say, hey, if we get attacked, if we have to file an insurance claim, our insurance is going to go up. So now we're even more incentive. Not like we needed more incentive, but we more incentive is good. So it incentivizes us to do the right thing and make sure our health system is secure. So to me, raising premiums are a reflection of cybers become cyber attacks are becoming more um, common but it's also a reflection of the risk of your organization so if your premiums are going out of control maybe as a cio you need to look in the mirror and go boy have i been doing enough to mitigate or manage this risk i'm perceived as a high risk not only because the industry i'm in but i'm perceived as a high risk because maybe we haven't invested in cyber like we should so we, we use it as, as a balance point to make sure cyber is always um, at the forefront. I remember when I first went in as CIO, I went to the board and, and I think we, we went from three to 8 million the first year in, in our investment in security. And they're just like, they're like, was, is that all you need? I'm like, oh no, that's the start. I don't know yeah. all I need yet, but let's. This is just as fast as I can go. Yeah, Any more money, good. I can't spend it responsibly. Yep. Yeah, this is the down payment. And it's just pretty interesting. So you talk about these three pillars. Do these three pillars, are you are you changing your strategy at all? Are you adding pillars? Are you taking, will there be modification to this or will this be sort of the foundation I, for, for a while yet? I not only find it enduring, so we came up with those strategic pillars about two and a half, three years ago. Not only they remain static, but the other businesses at Providence have adopted them, right? You can take that and apply it to our insurance business. You can apply it to running a hospital. Like these are really enduring strategic pillars. So if you're a chief executive running a hospital, what are you doing to simplify your processes or simplify your, your operations? What are you doing to modernize? Right. And that really sets you up for Innovate. So it's not only enduring for IS, I'm finding my peers using it as well. And I've been at some industry events. I don't think these individuals know I'm the one who created it, but I've been at industry events where I've heard other speakers start using these three pillars because they've adopted them for themselves. I'm like, well, that's pretty flattering. That's becoming pretty ubiquitous in, in the industry. Real estate operations. I'm going to go, I'm going to go here. It's, it's not surprising. I mean, CIOs negotiate so many contracts and in very complex contracts. They're used to working with legal. They're used to working yep. 10, 15, 20, 30 year projects. So it's not, it's not unheard of. And so getting that role makes sense, but I want to talk about real estate specifically. Right. So we hear a lot about hospital at home. We hear a lot about right. digital health is how we look at real estate changing at all in healthcare. Yep. Yeah, and that's why we moved it over, not because IT is great at managing contracts. I'd say IT is not good at managing contracts. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, that's, that's, that's pretty harsh. I think <laughs> we, we manage a lot of contracts. Some, some we do, we do, we do. But maybe that's a problem. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't be managing so many contracts. But yeah, my CEO, Rod Hockman, moved that responsibility over to me for, for three reasons. One, we kind of talked about it modern workplaces are now going to be hybrid, right? It's not, you've got your office, 
when people are going to come to work every day. It's now this hybrid work environment. It's a mix of technology and real estate. So wouldn't it be smart to put that under one leader, one leader that can think about both physical and virtual spaces in one. And so that's one reason we moved it over. Two, during the pandemic, we learned that hospital beds are no longer just physical assets, right? At the beginning of the pandemic, we were worried that our hospitals would be overrun. Well, the reason our hospitals didn't get overrun, one of the big reasons, we flex with virtual care, right? Telehealth and care at home. And we quickly realized the hospital bed, instead of being a concrete thing, it was actually an abstract thing. A hospital bed could be a bed at home. It could be a bed in the hospital. And again, that's wearing two hats. It's wearing the physical real estate hat and it's wearing an IT hat. And so that's why it's the center me. And then the third is we have a big, bold goal of being carbon negative by 2030. And unfortunately, the two biggest carbon offenders in any company are our IT and, and real estate. And ironically, the two can help each other, right? Technology can be applied in a real estate environment to cut your carbon costs. And if we more effectively use, get out of data centers and move to the cloud, we can use our real estate more effectively. And so again, another good reason to combine those two functions under one leader. And so it was really those three reasons we moved it under me. Yeah. And I'm going to come back to the question, but how much more efficient are the Microsoft data centers or the the colo data centers that you're using versus the data centers that you inherited? I can't put a number on it other than to say efficiently run a data center is just not good, right? We put our data centers in hospitals. It's probably the most in the United States. It's the last place you'd want to put a data center. And then Microsoft and other tech companies also have these carbon neutral or carbon negative goals as well. And so Microsoft not only can run their data centers more efficiently, but they're removed, moving to full renewables. So I'm able to get out of my data centers. I'm able to free up um, space in my hospitals that then can be used for clinical care. And then I move my, my you know, servers to a data center that now is you know, running 100% renewables. It's a win-win, right? So it's more efficient, it's more cost-effective. And then I free up my precious space in the hospital. The, the analogy I use is, when you go into an Apple store, you don't see Apple trying to process payroll in the back of an Apple store, right? Apple stores are 100% retail because it's a really expensive footprint. Where we take a hospital that's billions of dollars to build, super expensive, and then we immediately put a data center in it, like it's just silly. And so, yeah, it's a win-win on so many fronts. So, yeah, getting back to the original question on real estate, the strategic Everything I'm reading strategically says more care delivered at home or in, in places that aren't the, the yeah. multi-billion dollar campuses and whatnot. Is that a yep. strategic direction that Providence is moving and, and how's that going? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So let me give you some numbers. Before COVID, we were doing 10 telehealth visits a day. During COVID, we were doing 10,000. Before COVID, we weren't treating patients at home. During COVID, we treated 30,000 patients at home. So it's absolutely part of our, our um, strategy. I'm not going to make a bold proclamation here, but just think of a world where we have 52 hospitals and 20 years from now, we still have 52 hospitals. We don't build any new hospitals. And the only way you can do that to serve a growing community is to make your existing hospital space more efficient. So that's my data center example, get non 
clinical things out of a hospital, free that up for clinical care, add beds. And then the other place to flex is, is that remote care. So yeah, remote care is absolutely front and center for us as far as the strategy. And it's what's best for patients and communities, right? If you had COVID and could be taken care of effectively at home, that was a much better place to be than in a hospital setting. Let, let, let me talk about communication and story. I'll probably close on this, but the a couple of times now you said, let me let me give you an analogy. So that Maslow's hierarchy. Let me give you this. Yeah, yeah. This is the, the 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 role of CIO really is one of communicating, in some cases, complex concepts, making them something that people can put their arms around. How much time do you spend on the on the story and on the on the communication? Even this simplify, modernize, innovate is yeah. is you know it's something that heck I I mean you've said it to me three times and I can now probably say it for the rest of my life yeah. because it's because it's just such a simple framework for people to yeah. get their arms around. How much time do you spend as a leader thinking, all right, how am I going to communicate this? How do I get this to stick? I'm guessing I'd say 15% of my time, but you really hit it on the head, right? You've got these complex concepts. How do you deliver that to the board, executive management, your caregivers, your employees? Stories are a great way to deliver that these pithy sayings, simplify, modernize, and innovate. It's key, right? My role as a CIO, unfortunately, I'd love to actually do programming and real work, but I don't get to do that stuff anymore. So my my value as a CIO is to be strategic, right? Create a strategic direction, create a strategic framework, communicate these ideas, get, you know, stakeholder buy-in. And that really only can be done with this level of complexity with with storytelling. So so the the team won't... Stand up a SQL server for you to play with, or to do anything <laughs> with. No, no. But I used to love those days. My gosh, I, I loved having a SQL server underneath my desk and, and playing with it. But yeah, those days are behind me, unfortunately. Well, fantastic, BJ. Always fantastic to uh, catch up with you, and I pr- really appreciate you sharing your experience and wisdom with the community. Thanks again for doing that. Yeah, thank you, Bill. Appreciate it. What a great discussion. If you know someone that might benefit from a channel like this, from these kinds of discussions, go ahead and forward them a note. I know if I were a CIO today, I would have every one of my team members listening to a show like this one. It's conference level value every week. They can subscribe on our website, thisweekhealth.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, everywhere. Go ahead, subscribe today. Send a note to someone and have them subscribe as well. We want to thank our keynote sponsors who are investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Those are Sirius Healthcare, VMware, Transparent, Prescani, Sempris, and Veritas. Thanks for listening. That's all for now. <laughs>